Hello, Marvelites who are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 588, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm the lean, mean donut machine, Lorraine Sink. <laughs> uh, I think I'm the donut machine. Now you gave me a giant box of donuts when we saw each other <laughs> this weekend. Can I tell you what really tickled me? So Ryan came over and I provided donuts, which we promptly sent home with Ryan for the fam. But my husband had like a chocolate and vanilla frosted donut. And he was like, it was so good. The next day he went out and got me one at the donut shop because he was sad that I didn't eat some of it on the day. God, my husband is the nicest human being. (laughs) Just marry someone who's great. 10 out of 10 would recommend. It's good advice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. With that in mind, let's get this show on the road because we got a All lot right. to talk about here in the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel from games, comics, movies, TV or whatever we're excited about. And this week I talk with Tim Wynn, uh, who is really cool. He's the composer for Marvel's Midnight Suns. I think anybody that is a Marvel fan from being a novice to a professional Marvel fan, everyone's going to enjoy this game. Don't miss that conversation later in the show. It's filled with all kinds of great music from the game and friendship and sunshine, rainbows, explosions, demons. It's the hottest club in New York City. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, you'll hear a little bit later, the like main theme song for the game is a real banger. It's great. It just has that big Marvel super team energy feel. Oh, it's good. It's good stuff. Love it. You know what else I love is that... Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is almost here and there is going to be a red carpet premiere live stream on Monday, February 6th. Just get into it. Super excited for this one. I got to work a little bit behind the scenes on some of the red carpety goodness, which is always a blast. The film, of course, is going to hit theaters on February 17th. But this Monday, you can watch a live stream at the red carpet for this epic sci-fi adventure. It's going to be Marvel.com hosting the star-studded event like no other. You know we bring it to you every ball, to quote Paris is Burning. <laughs> is we need to quote Paris is Burning far more across everything. Far more Marvel. than we do. But, you know, these are just the most fun things to watch. Lots of celebrities on the red carpet. It's always exciting to see who's in attendance from the film and, and beyond, because sometimes some Marvel family will show up or uh, some Disney family will come by as well tons of great interviews and things so definitely go check it out on monday it's live from los angeles and you can watch it at marvel.com slash quantum mania premiere or you can check it out on marvel social channels on youtube twitter facebook tiktok and twitch coverage starts at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific you know what to do go and enjoy it and Livestream is sponsored in part by Marvel Snap, which is one of our favorite games. We're going to talk about it a little bit more later. And of course, if you haven't already, go get your tickets for Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania in theaters on February 17th. Lorraine, you and I go to the same Alamo Draft House. Oh, yeah. In New York. And I'm going to do a thing for the opening Thursday of Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. give out some toys and comics and just spread revelry and, and cheer and joy before the film for two different screenings. But I was looking at how many screenings they have. First screening is at 3 p.m. on Thursday. The last screening that day is at midnight. They're going hard in on Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania, And I can tell you, it is well-deserved. Well, hold on to your hats. Get yeah. a hat. Hold on. Let's yeah. go. It's going to be great. 
But we got to keep moving on. Let's talk about Black Panther Wakanda Forever because it is out now on Disney+. Plus. Go watch it again and again and again and again and again and again. Please, please, please. It's very exciting. Of course, there will be some great behind-the-scenes content on Disney Plus later this month. But if you want some cool stuff about the film, some making of stuff right now, you can check out a special underwater filming behind-the-scenes featurette about Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It's over on Marvel.com. We've got an interview with Jeffrey Bowman, the visual effects supervisor for the film, talking about the like blending of real-life underwater filming and visual effects techniques. Uh, let's take a little listen. One of the most important things in uh, Ryan Coogler's storytelling uh, is the authenticity of where characters come from. And I think part of that here is combining an underwater world with a culture that we can all relate to. You can watch the whole thing over on Marvel.com. We're going to put a link in our show notes for that. Heck yeah. Um, and as promised, I said we would talk about Marvel Snap and let's get into it. Marvel Snap Battle Mode. It's the most anticipated update of Marvel Snap and it's finally here. And it's available now. It's, of course, one of the games that Ryan and I are absolutely obsessed with. This is a new competitive game mode that allows you and your friends and family and coworkers to find out once and for all who is the ultimate Marvel Snap player by destroying your friendships, your family ships <laughs> through fun. Uh, <laughs> now, this is the first version of this game mode with additional friendly competitive features, and it's launching in the coming months. And by sharing your battle code with your friends or other players, you can enter one-to-one -one battles. In battle mode, opponents are gonna face off in multiple back-to-back -back games using the same decks each game, and each player is gonna start with 10 health. After each game, the winner deals damage to the loser. So the damage starts at one and then it doubles by snapping. So once a player loses all of their health and the player loses the battle, there is no round limit in battle mode and no ties, only destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ruin your friends. <laughs> this is going to be super fun. Battle mode is going to be updated even more with competitive features and opportunities over the months. So keep your eyes on Marvel Snap. If you haven't downloaded it in the App Store or Google Play or wherever you might, definitely go and check that out. It's over on PC as well. All right, we're going to be talking more about Marvel's Midnight Suns as well a little bit later, but wanted to let everybody know that the DLC, the first of four DLC packs, has arrived, and it's a Deadpool takeover. Pew, pew, pew. Of course, very exciting. We're big Deadpool fans here, and this first DLC pack, which DLC means downloadable content, this pack has Deadpool, and it's got vampires. You get new attack and skill cards, new story missions, uh, and there's a, a great trailer where... <laughs> One of the quotes was, Chimmy, my freaking changas, which cracked me up. We got new villains in here, vampires. We got Sin, who is Red Skull's daughter, and she's doing like evil vampire magic stuff, which is really cool. There's some really great and gross, bloody, gory sound effects. It just a lot of splurches and <laughs> stuff. It's great. There's a new upgrade for the Abbey, which is the headquarters for the Midnight Suns. It's a food truck. I'm very much looking forward to putting outside my Abbey. There's new cosmetics. We get to see Deadpool in a Speedo. Mask on, of course. Obviously. And I think most importantly for me and for a lot of longtime fans of Deadpool and video games in various places, it's voiced by Nolan North, one of the GOATs. Love Nolan North. He does a great Deadpool. He's done it many, many times. So we get that. This one is called The Good, The Bad, and The Undead. As I mentioned, it's the first of four DLC packs that you can get if you have the Season Pass or if you have the Legendary Edition. It's also available for individual purchase. So lots of ways for you to get it. What the cool thing is, if you play all the new story missions from all four 
of the packs, there is going to be an additional bonus mission. So get that season pass, have the legendary edition, get up in that. It's going to be great. Of course, Marvel's Midnight Suns is available for PlayStation 5, Windows PC, and Xbox Series X and S. Yeah. And Deadpool is joining just like a really amazing cast of characters. It's going to be so fun. It's so good. Ilyana, I just, I need a game that's just like Magic and Nico. The two of them, my stars. Love it. 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Also moving on over to the other side of the country, the Avengers are joining the new Disney California Adventure Park nighttime spectacular called World of Color 1. It debuted last week at Disney California Adventure Park during the Disney 100 anniversary celebration at Disneyland Resort. World of Color 1 includes some really awesome heroic characters. You know, it's like a nighttime spectacular. I don't know if you've ever been to the World of Color. It's Mm -hmm. awesome. It's like a big, huge water show. And this one tells the story of how a single action, like a drop of water, creates a ripple that can grow into a wave of change. I don't know why, but every time I watch one of these types of shows, I do cry. Can't explain it. It just makes me feel so many feelings. There's like music and like really great clips. And I don't know. And that's it for me. And of course, they're joining dozens of other iconic characters like Captain America, Black Widow, Black Panther, Hawkeye, Spider-Man and more who come to life in Paradise Bay as the area is transformed with a dazzling array of fountains, lighting, lasers, fog, flame effects harmonized with some familiar Avengers themes bellowing across the sky. It's everything you want and more. Go get a good spot. That's one of my favorite things to do, too. Like you're at the parks all day. You're tired because you're like having too much fun. And then you go and you get a little snack and you stake out a good spot and you just watch it and then you cry. You're welcome, America. (laughs) Enjoy a good cry, everyone. All right. Let's talk about some toys because there's been some new Marvel Legends announced. There is a two pack featuring Squadron Supreme members Hyperion and Dr. Spectrum. These look so good. I hope that means we get a whole set of Squadron Supreme figures. They're great, great, great. Uh, Also recently announced classic Star-Lord and Yondu figures. So it's like old school looking Star-Lord, like 90s Yondu, or I guess 60s, 80s, 90s Yondu, but they they look fantastic. There's a two-pack featuring Valeria and Franklin Richards of the children from the Fantastic Four with a little Moloid head, which is a future foundation thing. It's really cute. It's wonderful. There also is an advanced suit Spider-Man inspired by Marvel Spider-Man game. It was on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, which looks really cool. I want that one too. If you want any of these, you can check out HasroPulse.com for pre-order info. Some of these are coming a little bit later. Some of them might even be on other retailers, but HasroPulse.com is a good place to find them. There you have it. Let's move it on over to Marvel Comics land. First and foremost, a little reminder, it is 2023, which means it's an election year because every year is an election year in the X-Men world. Yeah. In case you missed the bonus election spotlight on the overall news, it's the X-Men election season and time is running out. So you got to go and put your vote in, cast your vote for the member of the X-Men that you would like to see join the team to be revealed at the summer's Hellfire Gala. And now this is important. You have to vote before 1159 p.m. Eastern time on Friday, February 3rd, which is today. So you <laughs> basically the day that this episode comes out, if you don't vote that day, you missed it. So go and head over there right now. It's marvel.com slash X-Men vote. So go make your voice be heard. Your vote counts. You, too, can be in charge of the X-Men. 
Just like Charles Xavier by casting your vote. It's a tough one because, you know, Jubilee, Juggernaut, Prodigy, Dazzler, Cannonball, Frenzy. I want them mm. all to win. But uh, I, I got to see Daz. I got to see Daz on the team again. Love me Get some Get those Dazzler. sparkly pants out, y'all. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about X-Men Before the Fall, which is something that is like stressing me out so much. It's <laughs> exciting as a lifelong X-Men fan. All I want is them to be happy. And when you name something before the fall. You have chosen... I know. You have chosen the wrong horse, Ryan. I know. <laughs> it is not in the cards for the X-Men. There is no joy. There is only death. <laughs> there is only destruction. But now they've got rebirth, so that's yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the big question is, like, can Krakoa last forever? And Fall of X, which is coming later this year, will answer that question and many more. But before we get there, we have Before the Fall, which is four one-shots starting in May that are going to tie up a whole bunch of plot lines, reintroduce some uh, major characters characters and really put pieces in place for the third annual Hellfire Gala, again, where the X-Men vote will be revealed. And really, that's the start of Fall of X. And so a lot of stuff happening later this year. So in Before the Fall, there's going to be four issues, as I mentioned. The first one is X-Men Before the Fall, Sons of X, written by Cy Spurrier, drawn by Phil Noto. Mm, That's a good team. And so you've got the man of innumerable personalities and powers, Legion, versus the most powerful, terrifying artificial intelligence in the universe, Nimrod. Horrifying. If you read Legion of X this week, you're going to cry. Like, just destroyed me this week. Oh, my God. Anyway, that comes out May 3rd. This is going to be so cool. Phil Noto drawing something with Legion and Nimrod. That's going to be bucket nuts. I know. I know. His painterly style is, like, unbelievable. Yeah. And then we get the return of Apocalypse, who we last saw in Ten of Swords. So it's been a little while. So Apocalypse coming back in X-Men Before the Fall, Heralds of Apocalypse number one, written by Al Ewing, drawn by Luca Pizzari. That is going to be on sale in June. That means chaos and calamity, I'm sure, because Apocalypse ain't just coming back for tea tell you that much then also in june is x-men before the fall mutant first strike number one which is written by steve orlando and drawn by valentina pinti and this one has gene gray cyclops and bishop tasked with a routine mission but as they dig deeper they uncover a hidden truth that will send shockwaves through mutant kind it's very very mysterious but i'm sure it's going to be devastating and then finally in july all four sinisters will sort of like start plotting their next move in X-Men Before the Fall, Sinister 4, number one, written by Kieran Gillen, drawn by Paco Medina. I want to say this right now. Kieran Gillen is the greatest writer of Mr. Sinister in Mm. the character's almost 40-year history. I think he's just done so much great stuff with the character during the Krakoan era, but even when he was writing Uncanny X-Men. So Kieran getting to do this is going to be spectacular. Heck yeah. I mean, all the talent coming out of the X books from Mm -hmm. May to July is just going to be so good. Also, for my horror fans, there's a new alien comic coming this April, just in time for my birthday. Thank you so much. It's written by Declan Shalvey, who we love here on the show, Andrea Bocadaro. This is going to be a whole new chapter of the book. The last arc just wrapped up. We're going in with a new cast of characters in a remote world, doing some scientific research. Lots of great stuff here. And that is coming April 26th. So put it on your pull list and get ready if you love a xenomorph. 
Yeah. And if you like Alien, if you like what we're doing with Predator, now we've got Planet of the Apes comics returning to Marvel, brought to us by David F. Walker and David Wachter. We'll have more information to come about that really soon. But if you've been noticing, if you're a variant comic head, that we've been doing a lot of Marvel Universe versus the Planet of the Apes variants, and they're really fun. They are a blast. So I'm excited. And especially David F. Walker hasn't been writing for us for a little while. Mm, so yeah. he's great. Damn dirty apes. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Eve Warlock making her debut in Ron Mars and Ron Lim's new Warlock Rebirth. So for those of you who are looking for some love for Adam Warlock, who if you are not familiar with, there's a great you don't know over on the Marvel YouTube channel that I wrote that you can go watch <laughs> and learn who he is. But it's a brand new solo limited series coming in April. It's reuniting Ron Lim and Ron Mars, known for their influential work, building out that cosmic part of the Marvel Universe. It kicks off with Warlock Rebirth coming April 19th and continuing with five issues of this limited series. And we're going to get to meet Eve Warlock, who is the next evolution of Warlock. And she's coming to strip Adam Warlock of all of his powers, including the Soul Gem. Bah, bah, bah. Uh, should be a super duper fun series. If you love Things like Infinity Gems, Infinity Gauntlets, Infinity Watch, being locked in a soul world. You know, this might be a good series for you. So definitely go and check it out April and May. Let's move on. There's you, I talk about variant covers a bunch on Marvel's Pull podcast, and I just wanted to shine a little spotlight here on this show because we've got a whole bunch of Women's History Month variant covers that uh, are coming this March. And it'll be some really great stuff from Pete Famoco, Carmen Carnero, Emma Lupacino, Ricky Yagawa, and Aka uh, across titles like Bloodline, The Daughter of Blade, Captain Marvel, Scarlet Witch, some stuff for Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants, and the X-23 Deadly Regenesis series that features Laura Wolverine. Well, X-23, a.k.a. currently Wolverine, a.k.a. Laura Kinney. But some really cool stuff. You can check out the images of all of those over on Marvel.com. Yeah. All right. You know, I love uh, some tabletop role-playing games, mm -hmm. and now there is a big X-Men Marvel Multiverse role-playing game update coming in 2024. You guys might remember that the first full edition of the rulebook is coming a little bit later this year, but now coming in 2024, we have the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game X-Men Expansion. It is the first full-size source book of the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game, and it features the X-Men and their various spin-off teams, some of their great allies, some of their worst foes, and it's going to be jammed full of lots of good information about mutants, including dozens of new profiles from X-Force, the new mutants, marauders, some colorful maps. It's just chock full of good stuff. Of course, as I mentioned, the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game core rulebook is going to come out this August of 2023, uh, and it's going to be available for pre-order right now. So if you want to get it, go put that order in, and it'll come to you as soon as it is done baking in the oven. The cool thing about that, Lorraine, is that like the team who makes it has been getting fan feedback and, and like yeah. updating it. It's not just like, here, we put this thing out, and now just eat it. 
It is they, they've they've gotten like a whole bunch of cool stuff. They've developed you know revamped rules, thinking about character creation, the actual combat powers, really updated and continued to build upon what was first established for it. Definitely, and all of that feedback is going right on into the book. And there's also going to be another rule book called the Marvel Multiverse Role Playing Game: The Cataclysm of Kang, which is an adventure book. It's also coming in late 2023, and that book is going to include some new character profiles and features, and it's also going to have a new campaign featuring Kang. So both the core rulebook and the adventure book are written by award-winning and time-selling best author Matt Forbeck, uh, who we had here on the show to talk about the game when it was in mm -hmm. its playtest phase, and it features a beautiful cover by Yvonne Coelho. So go check it out. Go and pre-order yours right now at marvel.com slash RPG and check out even more information about all the good stuff coming in the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, time for some podcasty chat because... It's time, everyone. The conclusion, the final episode of Marvel's Wastelanders is here. The epic from Marvel and SiriusXM is coming to a gigantic conclusion with Chapter 10 of Marvel's Wastelanders, Ultimate Power. Doctor Doom and Valeria, they are harnessing the ultimate power of the Cosmic Cube to take them back to the day it all began. With Judy Stark clad in Iron Man armor, Star-Lord, Hawkeye, and Black Widow infiltrate the Baxter building for a final standoff with the fate of the world hanging in the balance. Don't listen to me. Listen to this. Previously on Marvel's Wastelanders. Vic, I beg of you, don't. I, I, I'm sorry. It, it was merely to remove you as a threat. It, it didn't work. The world quakes at the realization that the cosmic cube is truly, finally, dooms. <laughs> Fleshback, you think you can beat the super adaptoid at mimicry? I call upon the power of Blastar, the living bomb burst. Of course, this is the final episode, but don't worry, it's not going anywhere. You can check out any of the Marvel's Wastelander series on your favorite app and subscribe to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts for all kinds of cool behind-the-scenes interviews and features. Learn more at SiriusXM.com Wastelanders. There you go. All right, Ryan, that's mm. not the only mm. podcast in town. What's going on in Marvel's pull list this week? Yeah, we're talking comic books like we do every day, every week, every episode. Hour? Yeah. <laughs> Our picks of the week this week are Dark Web Finale, which is the big crossover between Spider-Man and the X-Men. Great finish to that one. The second issue of Scarlet Witch, which if you're keeping track, issue one was a pick of the week. Issue two is a pick of the week. It's damn good comics. And... Legion of X number 10, I like teased it earlier. This issue destroys you and me and all of us. It's really good. Please, <laughs> please, please check out Legion of X. And then we have, of course, our reading club where we check out some books that are in Marvel Unlimited or stuff that we read together. This one's a special one because it's a creator commentary with the writers of Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. We talked with them so much that we are splitting this into two 
parts. So this week and next week, we're going to be talking with them about their careers, but really like process stuff, making of this, some really cool behind the scenes details about this arc, which is so, so good. If you have never read this current run of Captain America, it's Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. The first five issues are up right now on Marvel Unlimited. Maybe the six will be up at the time of this. The trade paperback is just about to be on sale. And then we even talk about the Captain America Cold War crossover that is coming up very soon. You can see some preview pages for that on Marvel.com. Really fun episode. Check that out. Marvel's pull list is out every Tuesday. Listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, you guys, don't go anywhere because you're not going to want to miss Ryan's chat with composer Tim Wynn in just a moment. And we're back. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, and I'm Ryan Panagos. And I'm Lorraine Sink, and let's keep it moving with Tim Wynn, composer of the game Marvel's Midnight Suns. Hello, Tim. Hey, how's it going? Great. Very excited to talk to you. I want to ask, what's your Marvel origin story? How'd you first learn about the Marvel characters or become a fan of the Marvel characters? Was it comics, cartoons? Was it movies? What was it for you? I mean, I think it was like a blend of of everything. My first game I ever composed for was The Punisher. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit different than uh, Midnight Suns, <laughs> for sure. So, of course, I knew about, you know, the backstories of, of so many different characters. And growing up, I really wasn't focused on The Punisher. It was more Spider-Man and Captain America and, you know, s- some of the more iconic characters that we work with. And, and so I think just growing up, it was always part of the zeitgeist that of of my field. I remember kids wearing Spider-Man pajamas and and that stuff and the cartoons and, and things like that. So that's pretty much how Marvel came into my existence. Yeah. It's been a little while since I've heard someone answer that question with the pajamas and and sometimes we get underoos. So it's good. It's good yeah. to hear that. Tell me a little bit about working on that Punisher title, which was a wild one. I remember in the Marvel offices we would have dev kits of of units and we had like a punisher design dev kit of of xbox or just a, a punisher-esque xbox I and mean, i remember playing that game a lot when it came out how did you get linked up with that as your first video game gig yeah it's my first video game so uh the game company that was working on it was called thq now since deceased i had actually just started working on another video game for them and that game got canceled Fast forward to two months later, they gave me a call and they said, hey, look, we have another game that we'd like you to work on. Are you interested? And I said, yeah, sure. What is it? And they said, oh, it's The Punisher. And I'm like, well, that's pretty good. You know, (laughs) it it went the the game that I originally was working on. I, I forget the title, but it was a very small game. And then to get upgraded to do The Punisher was quite a treat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you, this was your first video game. What were you doing beforehand? Was it TV, film? What work were you working on? I started off uh, doing film. Film was my number one thing uh, going on at the very beginning. So I probably did about 10 films. And that's pretty much why I got connected with The Punisher. At that time, the video game industry was really morphing from sort of the 8-bit music. I mean, it, it was a little bit before this. The 8-bit music kind of uh, died out, I think, uh, in the 90s, maybe five years prior. So my experience in film really, you know, translated well to what the video game companies were working on at that time. So they were looking to be more movie-esque. And so that's where the fit really began with. 
Yeah, it makes sense. I, I remember because the consoles turn from cartridges to discs and then, right. you know, the, you have CDs that can have higher fidelity and full songs and, and full motion video and all this stuff, getting a PlayStation and, and hearing orchestral scores in Final Fantasy or really cool stuff in Metal Gear back in, you know, the very end of the 90s. That was it's a game changer. Yeah, a big game changer. And uh, it's pretty funny. I realized one of the games that I played a lot in the 80s as a teenager, I was like, yeah, oh, it's on Steam. Oh, my God, I can play this game from 20 or no, 30 years ago. I buy it and it downloaded so and installed so quickly <laughs> because there's little, no data. I mean, there's nothing at all involved. In, and even playing it again, I'm like, my brain must have forgot how bad this was. I mean, this looked awful, but uh Nostalgia, you know. Curious, what are some of your other favorite games? You mentioned Super Tecmo Bowl. That was great. And obviously, Marvel's Midnight Suns is a really cool tactical strategy, role-playing game, multi-squad-based game. What kind of games get you and what are some of your favorites? There's so many. And I think XCOM is probably one of my favorite games, you know, for that sort of genre. I will probably play it every year and go through the whole, you know, campaign just because I just think it's so much fun. I like kind of a, another strange game would be Minecraft. It's kind of like an 8-bit therapy for me, mm -hmm. you know, you're like after like a long day, it's totally different than usually the games I work on or play with. I play uh Civilization, Civ 6, Assassin's Creed, I play every now and again and sure. I just think that's an incredible game too. So I mean, I, I love the whole industry, you know, there are so many people are making all these great diverse games and there's a space for everybody. Now, of course, talking about Marvel's Midnight Suns, this is project was in, you know, in development for a while. Tell us a little bit about coming on to the project, the work on it and how you got there and, and seeing it through to the end. I got a call from Chad Rocco and uh, Christine Brosio from Firaxis. And they were looking for a composer on Marvel's Midnight Suns. They were actually looking for two composers. So they called me and Phil Boucher and I wrote a theme for it. And then we ended up going, uh, Phil started doing all the interactive part of the game. I was almost writing a movie inside the game. It was pretty much, I mean, all the cutscenes, but there was, it wasn't just like a cutscene here and there. I mean, we're talking about three hours of movies and I didn't even realize the extent of it, because when you're working bit by bit by bit, slice by slice, you know, three minutes here, three minutes there. I mean, you see it all together, but you don't really see it all together until the game comes out. And then the game comes out and somebody, I don't know, the first thing they do it, they rip all the movies and they put it all in a linear fashion. And there it is, you know, on YouTube, three hours of of your work back to back. And I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, the, the people that all the writers that worked on the game, I mean, they did such an incredible job without their amazing story. I wouldn't be able to do what, what I did. You know, I was really using it, the characters, the story, everything as inspiration for my music. So my hats are off to them for sure. Interesting though, you know, you and Phil working on music, but in different ways, if your roles were reversed, how different does that make your job, your brain sort of process what the task is to work on a game like Marvel's Midnight Suns. What I was doing was pretty much the same thing as writing for a movie. What Phil did for Interactive, it's completely different in the sense that you're writing a two-minute piece of music that will have to loop. It will have to have all these different elements to it and have, you know, little different themes and different layers of music that you have to do so they can edit it when the time runs out and all that sort of stuff like that. So 
or my music, when you look at the picture, you know, you write to picture and that's pretty much it. So I had to do all of the theme writing and all that stuff because I was dealing with the characters that way. So you said about three hours of music in there. How many pieces is that? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, to get an answer, I uh, I could check. Hang on a second. Sure. It was... Okay, it was 122 pieces of music. Man, that's a lot. Wow. Yeah, that was... It's pretty much the biggest game that I've written for in terms of scope. I think anybody that is a Marvel fan from being a novice to a professional Marvel fan, everyone's going to enjoy this game. There's definite love throughout all of it. We're excited to continue talking about it. We're going to talk a little bit about, obviously, the DLC coming and some of those characters, but I want to maybe see if we could talk a little bit about a couple of the songs in sure. the score here. You know, track one, if people find it on you know, on their, their streaming channel of choice, Origins. Tell us about what that is and how you sort of conceive of a piece like that. Well, that was the first piece of music that I wrote. When I was told the story of the game, I really wanted something with energy and, and you know, kind of start off with this momentum and, you know, it, we knew it's, it's Marvel, so it has to have a sort of a heroic nature to it. And, you know, there's been so much great music that has been written, like trying to fit inside that universe was something that was going through my mind while I was trying to write the, the piece of music. So I was trying to figure out how that I can write something that, you know, sort of fits in the Marvel. I started writing the theme on piano and I had about two or three different ideas because the main theme is, is really the thread that's going to weave through the whole entire game. I was a little bit daunted by it, I will say. I was a little bit like challenged, like, okay, here, here you go. Just write your most important theme you've ever done before, <laughs> ever. Go, you know. I started off with a nine note theme and I mean, I think I got it pretty quickly. It wasn't something that I had to think about over a, a long time and uh, you know i i sent it to uh Firaxis and they absolutely loved it and that's what you hear when i first heard it it was instantly recognizable to me as feeling like this goes with a team a marvel superhero team but there's yeah. also that feeling of like there's a darkness to it i think you capture exactly what we want out of this <laughs> from the marvel side of like this is a Marvel superhero squad, but there's something darker and something different about this crew. It really nails exactly what it needed to. Yeah, thanks. I I really, really like how that, that track turned out. And uh, I mean, I think that's what the really cool thing about this story is it has, you know, the Midnight Sun characters are, I mean, from my perspective, a little bit more obscure than, say, Spider-Man and Captain America and some of the other Marvel characters. So that's, I think what kind of got me excited about it, that we were telling a new chapter to the story. We weren't, you know, going over ground that's been discussed about or been presented so much. So to have, you know, Nico and Magic and Blade, 
now they're the in front. Let's see what they do. So to me, that was some of the motivation that I was thinking about. And the fact that the story has an overall supernatural bent to it, that's in there as well. Blends a lot of things, I think, you know, really well. Let's go to another track called Hello Cleveland. That must be what Cleveland sounds like. Apparently, that's if Cleveland was getting attacked by Venom and uh, Spider-Man was saving the day, then you're right. That one has that sense of like intensity and dread. And then when the theme sort of falls its way into there, it's, you get that sense of hope and heroism. Um, right. So, yeah, it's a Venom and Spidey scene. It is. And, and you know, I think about it, it's one of my favorite of the early cues that we did because it was done over a pretty wide stretch. But I, I loved how it was directed and it was just a really cool action oriented type of scene. And at the time, we hadn't quite figured out whether we were going to have every character have its own theme, you know, kind of like what Alan Silvestri did with the Avengers. He had a had bad guy theme and he had the Avengers theme and that was it. And like, we didn't have all these competing themes going on whatsoever. So when I first wrote this cue, when Spidey comes in and saves a day, you know, the Midnight Suns themes comes in. Well, fast forward to probably a year later and now Spider-Man has his own theme, but Everyone was so happy with how this turned out. They're like, nah, it's fine. Let's keep the Midnight Suns theme there because it just feels so right. One more, and then I want to talk about some of those character themes. Uh, We have one which is called Heartfelt Farewells. There's like hope, but sadness in there. Tell us a little bit about the scene and and what your direction was for that one. A lot of things going on with that one. As I remember the scene, I can tell it musically for sure. But, you know, you have uh, the Bruce Banner theme that's in there, which develops into the Hulk theme, which develops into the fallen Hulk theme. So that's how the... That was the theme that basically uh, set us on the direction of having themes for everybody. Because once I had that requested, we were like, okay, well, let's have every single time a character, if it makes sense to tell the story, let's have them have a theme. So we have Bruce Banner's theme in there, and then we have Scarlet Witch's theme that comes in after that. And uh, Midnight Sun's theme was in there as well. So a lot of stuff going on in there. Tell us a little bit about these character themes. You said Hulk was the second one you came up with? Yeah. At the time, it was the Bruce Banner theme. And that's what I, I found kind of, I guess, funny was there wasn't really much going on in the scene. Bruce Banner was just, you know, kind of talking about the next mission or whatever like that. And uh, Chris Staller from Firaxis said, hey, I, I think we need a Bruce Banner theme. And then 
like, really? I don't see it. You know, I don't, I don't see how, how we're, we're really going to help tell the story here. But he had seen the whole script and he knew what was coming down the pike. I kind of wrote a theme very quickly. I wasn't thinking that it was going to be used a million different places and in mm-hmm. a million different, you know, and Fallen Hulk and all these different things. So it kind of proves that, you know, simplicity sometimes can be the, you know, the best way forward. And sometimes just like a simple five note theme or motif really is all you need to help tell the story. So what inspires you to create a, a character theme? Do you, you know, is it is it simply the, the script and what's going on in the, the story? Do you look at, you know, because we have these characters who have sometimes decades and decades of history of sort of imprints in your brain, even how much of that goes into what you're trying to put together? I mean, I think a lot. I'm not able to tap into the whole universe of it, you know, how long those characters have been around. I am able to tap into the artwork and the video renderings on the story. As a composer, I think visuals, especially as a media composer, the visuals really tell you how you're supposed to feel. To me, when I see somebody walk across the screen, I don't see it. I hear notes. It just really kind of comes to you. They're like, oh, well, it should go up or it should go down or you just get this vibe. And and if you listen to the Lilith theme, And Scarlet Witch's theme. Just, it has this like really powerful feminine quality to it. And I think it's really fits the scene. And even Hulk, you know, it has this low sort of like bombastic thing where you can just imagine him like boom, 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 you know, kind of, you know, stomping around as Hulk does. So different characters, their mannerisms, their things like that, they just notes. I see it. I just, I visualize, you know, musical notes is how, how it's supposed to come. So that that's your, pretty much how themes come about for me. Did any of them surprise you as you were sort of putting them together? And like, you, you may have thought, okay, well, this is what I think we're going to do. And as you start developing it, it sort of takes on a life of its own. I think how those themes really work out. Most of the time when you hear guitars and, you know, kind of the drums, that's, you know, sort of like Johnny Blaze's theme. But he has some pretty emotional parts. So I, had, I wrote this to me anyway, a really beautiful Johnny Blaze sort of uh, motif thing that, that comes back in an emotional thing in, in a few different areas. And I thought that was interesting because You wouldn't think that for his character that you would get like this emotional arc, but you do. And for me, that's my favorite things to write 
is sort of the emotional music because I like pulling at the heartstrings. And I think in a game, you know, especially in a game like this where you have superheroes, you know, smashing and, you know, beating up things, of course, is, is what's going to happen. But then if you can have somebody also like tear up in the game as well, I mean, I'm telling you, that's the good stuff. You know, mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. Of course, the game released, but we have downloadable content. There's characters yeah. and different pieces coming in having, I think by the time this comes out, already been released and then coming in the, right. in the next couple of months, Deadpool, Morbius, Storm, Venom. Were you able to do any themes for, for these characters as well? Yes. Uh, Deadpool, Morbius, and Storm's going to get her motif. That has not actually started production, but that's the next thing that I'm working on. Venom has a theme from the main game, so pretty cool little theme and a little uh, motif that we took some metal in our studio and and this warped piece of metal and we bowed it and re-recorded it, reamped it, and we have this little bending little thing. You'll if you if you play the game, you'll see it like every time. It's like just like a little signature sound that he has along with his his theme. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff coming up for the DLC. It's really interesting. Yeah. Tim, it has been a delight talking with you and hearing your music and hopefully sharing it with some folks who are now going to go out and get their hands on Marvel's Midnight Suns available right now. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, don't miss it. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, big thanks to Tim Wynn for coming on and talking about the game and all his music. Of course, Marvel's Midnight Suns is available now for PlayStation 5, Windows PC, and Xbox Series X and S. There you have it. All right. We are not done yet. We're keeping it moving. We're keeping it fresh. We're keeping it spicy because we got to have our question of the week. Next week, we're going to have on Steve Loader and Rodney Cloudin, who are going to talk about producing Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which is a new animated series coming to the Disney Channel and Disney+. Plus. It is so cute, so fun, so delightful. I cannot wait for folks to watch it when it comes out on Disney Channel February 10th. It's so delightful. And in the spirit of that, our question of the week is, who is your favorite young hero? Hmm, that's a good Get one. Get out of here, olds like me and Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Moon Girl's great. I mean, she's the smartest person in the Marvel Universe, so yeah. that's pretty epic. I mean, it's funny because the Runaways have grown up a lot. True. Over the years, yeah. but I would say, you know, obviously I'm a huge um, Runaways fan, love a young Avengers. The Richardses are still young. Well, they they got aged up a little bit. They're still young. They're still teenagers, but they were aged up a little bit. But they're um, not in college yet. No. Like the Power Pack, too. They aged up oh, a yeah, little power bit. Power Pack, yeah. Gabby. Oh. Honey Badger. Yeah. What a Scout. sweet baby child. Yes, truly. She is so delightful. Yep. Without question. I mean, there's a lot of great younger X-Men, you know, oh, characters yeah. over the years, too. It's, you know, part of the... The joy is seeing these characters introduced young and, and the way they've grown up. Jubilee, like Kitty Pride, even. Yeah, Kitty Pride, Jubilee going from being like the little kids of the X-Men to being leaders and being, in Jubilee's case, a mom or, you know, being on multiple teams, saving the world, maybe being an X-Men if she gets the vote. Jubilee. <laughs> wink, Jubilee. Wink. Hint, hint. Does uh, a ball baby eat chili fries? Yeah, baby. The best line. <laughs> Brew. I love Brew from, especially during Wolverine and the X-Men a few years mm -hmm. back. 
He's just a little, he's a member of the brood, but he's such a little gentleman, even though he looks like a little alien monster with glasses. He's a mutant brood who is like yeah. sophisticated and not a murderous monster. And he's so nice. So I nice. love brew. I think for y'all's answers out there, we'll take it even for different eras. So if you want to pick like a young Avengers character when they were mm. a little bit younger, that's fine. Like Kid Loki. Oh, Kid Loki. Great broke our hearts but there's so many out there let us know you can tweet your answers using hashtag this week in marvel email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in marvel please make sure to tell us it's okay to read on the show because that's what we like to do like we're mm-hmm. gonna do right now our question of the week last week was what marvel music scores do you listen to most and speaking of soundtracks you know marvel spider-man beyond amazing the exhibition official soundtrack is now available to stream wherever you get your music and you can purchase it also via the iTunes store. So if you are looking to go beyond amazing with some Spidey music, definitely go and check it out. It's delightful. Yeah. All right. So first up, we've got David Lieberman at Jedi Blumen who says, all of it. So much good stuff. I love it all, but to call out some favorites, it would be anything by Michael Giacchino, Alan Silvestri, Christoph Beck, or Brian Tyler. Of course, there's Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Captain America, Avengers, Ant-Man, WandaVision, Thor 2, Iron Man 3. David, that's a lot. Good job. Mm-hmm. Well, David covered it. Good night. Bye. <laughs> all right. Next up, we got Joe Maximoff at Joe Mark underscore Magbanua who said, I'm forever obsessed with the Scarlet Witch dreamwalking sequence. The music and the character is top tier. I believe from Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Such great music. I mean, also Danny Elfman's score. Gotta Mm. love it. Mm. Hell yeah. Conrad at Dare Green Ninja says, I don't think any Marvel-related score got so much time in my playlist as the amazing score for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Well, that and the jazzy beats from Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Baby, I'm going to take you for a ride. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Next up, we have one from at Carol Binary who says, as someone who strictly only listens to movie scores, I think objectively... That Natalie Holt's Loki score is the greatest. Specific shout outs to Rock's Cart 2050, Oshkosh 1985, and He Who Remains. Natalie really outdid herself. Yes, the soundtracks are excellent. They get to time hop all over the world. And of course, that means you got to love it. Lots of cool multiversal music. Yeah. Max Marvel at Maximilian Marvel tweeted, The Moon Knight main theme by Hisham Nazi went hard. Hell yeah, it did, Max. Oh, so good. All right, next up, we've got Principal Scott Moore at Scott W. Gregson said, I keep coming back to the Marvel Studios Eternal soundtrack, haunting, beautiful, and grand, much like the movie itself. Love it. Yeah, and some really cool, like, kind of world music in there. Very cool. Kate Ettinger at Kate underscore Ettinger says, I listened to the Avengers score by Alan Silvestri when I run. I ran a half marathon listening almost exclusively to that heart emojis. Wow, Kate. That's bold. I like it. You know, a while back, Ryan, when you and I did that run at Disneyland Mm -hmm. many years ago, I remember they were playing the Avengers music and I was so hyped. I do not like to jog. I was literally just doing it for the content, you guys. But I heard that music and I was like, I can keep going. Like, it really does make you feel so strong. Heck yeah. Next up, we got an email that says, the Marvel soundtracks I listen to the most are from Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man No Way Home, and Marvel Studios Loki. The score 
for Avengers Endgame is beyond amazing, and half of what makes the portal scenes so amazing is the music behind it. The Spider-Man No Way Home soundtrack has some beautiful pieces, my favorite being the epic rendition of Spider-Man's theme as the three Spider-Mans land on the Statue of Liberty and the music piece when Peter has to say goodbye to MJ and Ned. And then, oh my God, side note, sobbing. I was so rocked by that. Anyways, moving on. And then Natalie Holt, who made the amazing soundtrack for Marvel Studios Loki, just utterly original, super mysterious. And when you listen to it, you just can't help but hear Loki in the music. Those are some really great ones. I really got to go back and listen to this Loki soundtrack is what Mm -hmm. I'm realizing. I haven't listened to it in a minute, so I'm convinced. Fair. We got an email from Caden who says, Hello, Ryan and Lorraine. This is my first time writing to the show, and I would like to say I'm a big fan of both of yours and having been listening to you guys ever since Thwip, the big Marvel show. I've enjoyed your fun and energy when talking about Marvel ever since. When I started high school, I started listening to this podcast every Friday on my walks to school, so I've always been meaning to email, and it would be a dream come true to have you guys read this on the show. To answer this week's question, it's so hard to choose, which is my favorite score, because I've got a whole playlist, but my top three would be the classic Doctor Strange theme by Michael Giacchino, the Daredevil theme, and the main Avengers theme by Alan Silvestri. They're all such iconic themes, and it was so hard to pick only three. Well, thanks, Caden. We really appreciate you. We're glad to have been a part of your life, and those are great choices. Oh, it's so nice to get an email. Thank you for reaching out. Mm-hmm. We also have an email here from Dog Girl. Hi, Ryan Lorraine. I hope you're doing well. I wanted to say that I am eternally grateful to have this podcast to listen to on the long road to the nearest comic shop and to the archery range, because... I like Kate Bishop. (laughs) Just thanks so much for being a ding-dang delight. Goes on to say, as for this week's question of the week, it's like asking for a mother's favorite child. The Marvel (laughs) scores are all I listen to. To name a few that I adore, Moon Knight, Thor, The Dark World, X-Men, The Dark Phoenix. I love Hans Zimmer. And of course, I've had the Ms. Marvel suite on repeat ever since it came out. Yeah, good call. Mm -hmm. Also, just like the music curated for that series is phenomenal in my perfect dream world Hans Zimmer composes for Avengers Secret Wars Ooh, from the South African Embassy of the Republic of Twim oh thank you dog girl that was great yeah really really cool all right we got an email from Jacob Walters who said hello Twim team love the podcast and being a music teacher I especially love the question for this week Lately, I've been listening to the Avengers Campus track the most. I love how it combines all the great themes of the movies that had been released before the creation of the land. Listening to it really makes you feel ready to be your own Marvel hero. Please thank everyone a part of the music creation process for taking us into these stories through music. Well said, Jacob. Now, uh, Paul Warren wrote in an email to us and let us know that they've read 7,000 Marvel comics so far and is keeping track. Paul, I should have been keeping track since I was like six years old. I would probably be at, I don't know, almost 30,000. How many do we have minus like 3,000 is probably where I'm at. Paul also says, my favorite score, sometimes for D&D sessions, I use the Netflix Daredevil theme. And answering a previous question, Paul says, favorite costume is Luke Cage's hoodie with bullet holes. Thanks, Paul. And Brandon, mom, thank you for the email and the kind words on the show. Brandon asked if there's a way to get the question of the week earlier in order to write sooner, which is totally fair and valid. Brandon, you know, we release the shows on Fridays. 
we record the next episode early the next week. So Tuesday, Wednesday, we sometimes pull in responses a little bit later. So your best bet is to listen to the podcast as soon as possible, right? As like as soon as you can. So that's the best way to do it. And then finally, I just want to say thanks to Joe Hoffman for an email sent to all the different podcasts here at Marvel. We are glad to be a part of your life and help with some inspiration as you do your work. So yeah. all good stuff. As we go to wrap up the show, we just wanted to mention that we were deeply saddened to learn of the passing of actress Annie Wershing. Amongst her many wonderful roles that so many people know and love, she also portrayed Leslie Dean in Marvel's Runaways. I had the great pleasure of getting to interview her for the Marvel's Runaways podcast that we did about the series on Hulu. And I know that she will be deeply missed by the cast and the family here at Marvel. Our condolences are with her family, friends, and fans. Yeah. All right, y'all. That wraps it up for this week. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Kara McGurk Allison, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe.